Hello, and welcome to the Vineyard Bowling Green Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and look forward to seeing you this Sunday. But um, hey, go ahead and put up Psalms 133, verse 1. Here we go, 133, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And I'm blocking the screen for half the people. I just realized that. Do I need to move? I'm so sorry, guys. We're so unprofessional, it's not even funny. But... In the following weeks, we will look at a number of different directions and precepts that the scriptures provide for us. Can anybody see that? All right, whatever. So in the following weeks, we will look at a number of different directions and precepts that the scriptures provide for us in order to live our lives together under the word of God. And this is important to me, um, as I know it is to you guys as well. That community is so important. Whatever stage of life you're in, whether you're a college student, um, you're married and you live in a neighborhood, um, you have uh, whatever it is, you're old, you have grandkids, whatever it is, that you, whatever stage you're in in your life, community is important. Friends, family, it's important. And it should not be taken for granted that as followers of Jesus, we have the privilege of living among other Christians. That that is so important that we have the privilege to live Uh, among other Christians. And during this series in the next few weeks, we're going to go back and forth between a couple of things. We're going to go back and forth, crossing the line between this sacred world that we live in, in the kingdom of God, and this secular world that we live in. We're going to go back and forth, crossing this line between um, the kingdom of God and the patterns of this world. And we're going to go back and forth between heaven and earth to discover God's will and purpose for community. And I'm excited about that because we are also going to look at several different things, but we're going to look at how community and solitude are both important for us and actually work together. That the Christian life is communal, but also it is in solitude as well that we find ourselves best prepared and best equipped to go into the community and to have community and to have great relationships. That if we don't have solitude with the Lord, then we are actually robbing ourselves and robbing the community and the people and the relationships that are, that are in our lives. And so we can easily have an unhealthy and an unfruitful community if we are not having our own personal solitude with the Lord. So we're going to look at all of this, and I'm so excited about this series about community. And I wanted to write this series in community as well. So um, I actually, um, I'll be referencing a great source from a book about community called Life Together. It's by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you haven't checked him out, I highly encourage you to. It's a great book called Life Together. But also I've been chatting with a few friends um, going through this book and kind of helping write this series as well because I wanted to write this series in community and not just say, all right, this is just everything I think about community and here you go. So instead I wanted it to be coming from the perspective of other people, community in itself. So This is just not my opinion of what Christian community looks like. I guess these messages have been formed and shaped through community as well. And it's something that I'm pretty passionate about. So as I mentioned before, looking at the differences between the sacred 
and the secular, we will be looking at our lives and how they play out in our roles as believers in this broken world that we live in and how we are called to influence and change the community around us and the culture around us. How many believe that we are called to influence and, and really kind of change the culture around us? That's what we are called to do as believers. Um, there is nothing better than Christians living amongst Christians. I really believe that, but believe that. But one thing that is certain is that Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies and people who did not know him as God. And at the end of his kind of time here on earth, towards the end, his disciples had deserted him right at the cross. And on the cross, he was utterly alone and he was surrounded by evil doers. He was surrounded by evil people, surrounded by mockers. And for this cause, he had come to bring peace to the enemies of God. So one of the first things that I want us to get squared away with this morning is this. Um, you and I, we belong not in seclusion or the isolation of this world, but we are called to live in the thick of this world. That doesn't mean that we are like, uh, it doesn't mean that we just like take this world for what it is and we just participate in everything and we just say yes to the world. We overcome the world, but we are called to live in the thick of the world. We are called to live in God's commission, in his great commission, in his great work to go into the world and to tell people about Jesus. We are not called to live in isolation from that. Martin Luther has a quote that's really important that I, I, I want us to, um, to hear this morning. And it says this, the kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies. That right there is kind of tough to deal with sometimes. The kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies. And he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. So the kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies, and he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but the devout people. Then he says, O oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ, if Christ has done what you are doing, who would ever have been spared? So it's pretty powerful. It's a pretty powerful thing. If Christ had done what you were doing and just hanging out with other Christians, then who would have ever been spared? And we are called to live amongst the foes of the world, our enemies, people that are different than us. And the decisions we make, how we shape our lives, our values, our beliefs, we cannot retreat and hide from the world. We cannot allow our ideas for righteousness and purity and holiness, all godly things, but we cannot allow that to rob us from our purchase, which, purpose, which is to go into the world and teach people about Jesus. We cannot do that. In following the Great Commission to live amongst each other, we will be more prosperous in their, our pursuit of righteousness, we will be more prosperous in our pursuit of holiness, and we will be more prosperous in our pursuit of purity. The church for a long time has had good intentions, but has really built dividers in our society and in our communities and in our culture. And there's nothing wrong with like Christian schools. I went to one. There's nothing wrong with Christian music and movies, except they can kind of suck sometimes. But I mean, you know, the quality can be bad sometimes when we kind of stamp the Christian thing on it. Um, 
And, uh, but the heart behind it is not a bad thing. But inside of that isolation, someone can go a really long time without seeing the world as God sees the world, with the potential of God reaching everyone. You can go a long time without having conversations with people that need to hear about Jesus. You can go a long time. And from my experience, it really developed a mindset kind of of us versus them. Did anybody kind of grow up with that mindset sometimes when you have the church and then you have like this, this, this quote-unquote world, right? It kind of develops this us versus them mindset rather than a us for them mindset. So it's us versus them, but it should be us for them. And I grew up in a great Christian home, and I went to a great Christian school, and I went to a public school after the Christian school, and uh, that made my family just a little bit nervous. Um, I went to a university, I joined the military, I attended Bible college after the military, and I say all of that just to say that from my experience from living in a somewhat protective Christian society, Christian school, Bible college, pastor's kid, etc., right? Kind of in this protective Christian society. Um, somewhat being sheltered and then moving to college, joining the military, working secular jobs, etc. I know from experience that my pursuit of Jesus was strengthened and actually it became more of my own and my own identity, and it became real, and it kind of became alive, and it kind of started living with the purpose of Christ in me when I was actually building relationships and doing life with people who were not believers and not just like me. I realized that I wasn't afraid of being around people who had different values, but rather I understood that I carried the Holy Spirit inside of me everywhere I went, and that's how I personally grew closer to God. And something I learned to value more of was my time in solitude with God and my time amongst other Christians. I understood the strengthening that happened behind those two things. When I spent time with the Lord and I spent time with other Christians, it made me better to go into the world. And it equipped me to go into the world and to go into a, a, a lifestyle in this, uh, this you know, secular world and to make an influence and to make an impact and to not live in fear. And that's actually a big, big part of my story is that I knew I was, I was called not to be threatened by this world, but to live in this world as a powerful influence and a positive influence for change for people. And that's a big part of my story that I'll share more of one day. But there is something powerful that happens inside of you as a believer when you accept that it is our jobs as believers to not live in isolation, but to live um, in this world and to make a positive influence in this world and to not hide from it. Zechariah 10, 8 through 9 says this. Zechariah 10, 8 through 9 says, I will signal for them and gather them in. Surely I will redeem them. They will be as numerous as before. Though I scatter them among the people, yet in distant lands, they will remember me. They will survive and they will return. I'll read that again. I will signal for them and gather them in. Surely I will redeem them. They will be as numerous as before. Though I scatter them among the people, yet in distant lands they will remember me. They will survive and they will return. So according to God's will, the Christian is a scattered people. 
The Christian is a scattered people, scattered like seeds into, into the kingdom of the earth. And that is its promise from God, to be scattered people. God's people must dwell in far countries among unbelievers, but it will be the seed of the kingdom of God in all of the world. You and I are a seed of the kingdom of God throughout the entire world. And we are living in this now. It happened in Jesus Christ. God's people remain scattered, held together, though, solely in Jesus Christ, becoming one, but still dispersed among unbelievers. We're still dispersed among unbelievers, united in our calling as we remember and live our lives in the remembrance of Christ. Okay? And what a privilege it is. What a privilege it is to live in this visible fellowship with other Christians in a sacred world together. It's such an opportunity for us. It's such an opportunity for us. And something I want to establish is something very simple in delivery and something very simple in hearing, but something that is absolutely deeply covered by the grace of God, and that is this. Christianity means community through Jesus Christ. Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ, okay? No Christian community is more or less than this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? First, it means that we need each other because of Jesus Christ. And second, it means that as a Christian, we come together um, to others only through Jesus Christ. So Christians, we need each other, okay? Y'all agree with that? We need each other. The believer needs one another and needs another believer who speaks God's word to them and encourages them and, and helps them. And, and we need each other again and again, especially when, when things are uncertain or we're discouraged. We need each other to proclaim, proclaim the truth over each other. But it also means that if Jesus is what binds us together, because I really believe that, everybody is in this room because Jesus has brought us together, then without Jesus, we have no community. Without Jesus, we have no community because of one thing, because we have no peace. What do I mean by that? Among men, and among, among mankind, I mean, there is strife. Ephesians 2.14 says this, for he himself is our peace who has been made, who, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. So Ephesians 2.14 says this, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So without Christ, there is discord between God and man and between man and man. Without Christ, we have discord between God and man and between man and man. Christ became the mediator and made peace with God and among men. Christ opened up the way to God and to our brothers and sisters. Now, Christians can live with one another in peace. We can love and serve one another and understand that we are one. And we can live as one body in a world that is broken. And we do not get threatened. We do not get shaken. And we do not get lost. And our identity as believers does not get stolen because our identity is placed in the person of Jesus. Our identity is placed in the person of Jesus. And we as a church are bound together in Jesus. And as we carry this peace, we don't carry a fear with us because of Jesus. 
So as followers of Jesus, you know, we have to ask the question, is this, is this really for me, though? Is this really for me as followers of Jesus? How, how social do I really have to be? When we're thinking about community, how social do I really have to be? I mean, community sounds good. I get what you're saying, that Jesus is binding us all together and all of that stuff, and that we're called to be in community and all that stuff. But, but what is my role? How is this played out? How is this tangible? Uh, you know, how many other people kind of struggle, not with community, but really just kind of being kind of social? And you kind of like hear this whole Christian thing about how we're supposed to be in community and love our brother and all that stuff sounds good, but then you just kind of just want to kind of do you a little bit, right? That's the way I am. I, I'm an introvert. I like having my one or two friends and, and kind of like, you know, hang out at the house, right? There's nothing really, really wrong with that either. But how many, how many people, be honest, how many people like that, right? You, you kind of like just keeping it real, keeping it to yourself and just kind of. So what does this really mean? to really be in community with each other. Um, and, and the thing is, the answer is that no matter what personality you have or what you prefer, that we are called to love each other. And that word love is a tricky word that we're gonna get into in the next couple of weeks and what that looks like. But the answer is like, um, community is for everyone. And it's extremely healthy for you, and it's extremely healthy for your soul. Remember, God shows us how to be in community, right? The Trinity, God himself, is community. He's community within himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit bound together. And we can read in 1 Thessalonians that how we love each other is actually something to not be passive about. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 10 says this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 10 says this. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourself have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And I remember reading that for the, not for the first time, but I remember reading that recently and being like, what does that mean more and more? That's not really good instruction there, right? Just do more. Love God more. Like, do better. Okay, how? If it was that easy, I would do it. Love more. So God himself has undertaken to teach us how to love each other and all that we can add to it is to remember what we just read and that is to excel in it more and more. And when we do that, we begin to activate and implement the characteristics of God and the will of God with each other and for each other. We learn from God himself how to love each other, and God is asking of us to excel in it more and more. So the question is, what are we excelling in? What, is, what are we excelling in more and more of? Like I said for the last two weeks, in order to be good at community, you must be good at generosity first. You have to be good at generosity. And until you are, understand that you're rich in mercy, forgiveness, and good deeds, um, you, you have this already in you. That's what it looks like, and that's what it takes to excel in loving the believer and non-believer. But because God, when God was so merciful to us, when God was so merciful to us, we learned to be merciful to each other. If you want to excel in love more and more, we take what God has already done to us and we distribute that to each other. 
When God was merciful to us, we learn to be merciful to one another. When we receive forgiveness instead of judgment, we too were made ready to forgive one another. What God did to us and for us, we then owe to each other. The more we receive, now the more we are able to give. And God himself taught us to meet one another as God has met us. So what are we supposed to excel in is that right there. Everything that God has already given you, we redistribute out to others. That's what we excel in. We are not short in mercy, forgiveness, and good deeds because we are rich in that because we have received that from the Father just because of who our Father is. And because of that, that's what we excel in and that's what we do. That's what we give out. That's what we redistribute. God was merciful to us. We're merciful to others. God forgave us. He didn't judge us. We forgive others. We don't judge others. Amen? Do you guys agree with that? Pretty simple, but actually very powerful, very profound. And the more genuine our relationship with the Lord becomes, and the more we become transformed in the likeness of Christ, the more genuine and deeper our community becomes. There's an effect. There's a cause and effect to this reaction, right? Because we are aware of the goodness inside of us, and we can give it away just like Christ did for us. And we cannot make this about anything else but Christ. We have to remember the foundation that Christ is what is uniting us and is what is moving us forward. And that dismisses something when we actually acknowledge that it's all about Jesus and it's nothing else. It actually dismisses every distracting demand and desire we have for something else or for something more. What do I mean by that? The person that wants more than what Christ has already established does not want Christian community. It's really profound. But rather, they want to push their agenda, whatever it is, socially, politically, or whatever. Okay? Listen to me. This is very careful. We have to be really clear about this. Because if we look past the goal here, which is to never forget that we are all united in Christ, we can easily destroy a community. You can easily destroy a community. And we can destroy a community in multiple ways, right? There are so many ways that we can be toxic and we can have a bad attitude and we can spread gossip and we can have an agenda and we can think that we're better than, you know, we can easily come in here and say, I'm better than Zatch and talk bad about Zatch. And, you know, there's probably a lot of truth to it. But, um, you know, there's easy ways that are pretty easy to destroy a community. But, you know, but I think one way that we don't understand destroys a community and how it's called to be and to live up to its potential is by us not participating in it. I think that's one of the ways that we don't actually build something good is that we just don't build something good. Instead, we just remain idle and we don't participate and we don't give as much as we should. You are called to bring something to the table and build something with others. But if we, get, if we forget about Christ being at the center and not ourselves, we can really mess things up. Like I said at the beginning, I've been reading this book from Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together, and he's one of my favorite guys. And he talks a lot about this, but he says this. He says this about as far as us kind of destroying community. He says, innumerable times, innumerable times, a whole Christian community has broken down because what has sprung from a wish dream. He goes on to explain that it's very easy for each Christian to bring them a very definitive idea of what Christian life together should be 
and tries to make that happen. Does that make sense? In numerable times, a whole Christian community has been broken down because of what has sprung from a wish dream, what has sprung from an agenda. He goes on to explain that each Christian, um, it's easy for each Christian to bring with them a very definitive idea of what Christian life together should be and tries to make that happen. But then he goes on to say that every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community can be a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. That's so powerful. That's absolutely powerful. He says this, he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the community. That's really good. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the community. When I read that and started studying that again, I had to repent immediately. Not only did I have to repent, when me and the two other guys I've talked to on the phone, it got quiet when we talked about that part in this book that we're kind of going through. Because we are all dreamers of great community, and we've, we realize that maybe, just maybe, we've gotten some things wrong. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community, he who loves his idea of what is right more than the people around you, you're wrong. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest, ever so earnest, and ever so sacrificial, can still be wrong. He enters God's kingdom and community with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren, and essentially God. And when things do not go his way, the community is called a failure. So that's really powerful. But because God has already laid the foundations of our relationships, remember mercy, forgiveness, good deeds, all of that stuff. That's the foundation of our relationships. Giving to each other what God has given to us. He was good to us, so we should be good to each other. We can combat our agendas Right? We can combat our poor attitudes with one thing, with one simple thing that is, it's simple, but it's so hard. We can combat our agendas with thankfulness. We can combat our better ideas with thankfulness. Right? When we thank God for what he has done for us, we thank God for giving us our fellow brothers and sisters. We do not complain of what God, we do not, we do not complain of what God does not give us. We rather thank God for what he does give us daily and for who he gives us. In this life of community as believers, we have to have thankfulness. We so often pray for the big things and forget to give thanks for the ordinary small and yet really not small, small gifts from the Lord. And that is in contrast to how sometimes um, we want to do things. It's so hard to be grateful at times. It's so hard to be grateful at times. There are certain moments in my life when I've had a taste of like really good friendships and really good community. And, 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 and when you have that, you want to capture that everywhere you go. You want to capture that everywhere you go. There's, there's been moments in my life where I've had really, really close friends and, and still remain close friends. But like, you know, we, we lived close to each other. We played music every night and, and so on and so forth. And so you just try to recapture that everywhere you go. And oftentimes you live in comparison and you're like, well, I miss, you know, and it's, it's good to miss people and all that stuff. But like, 
I've been, I've been guilty of this because I've been ungrateful for so for 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 um for people that were around me, and you start comparing like, you know, friends to old friends and and stuff like that. Does anybody else do that? Am I am I, am I guilty of that? Only one. You can miss out on so many great opportunities for life. So Christian community is like Christian sanctification. It is a gift from God which we cannot claim. And because it's founded solely on Jesus, it's a spiritual reality that cannot be manufactured by our efforts. So what do I mean by that? There is this human desire to love one's neighbor. You guys agree with that? There's this human desire to love one's neighbor, and such passion is capable of great sacrifice and doing great things. And oftentimes these sacrifices surpass the genuine efforts of the church. But there's a difference between just doing charitable things and truly loving others through the Holy Spirit. The human desire oftentimes speaks the Christian language of love with overwhelming volume. But, but this is what Paul is speaking about when he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not love, do not have the love of Christ, I gain nothing. And this morning, I just want to start this conversation of community and for us to realize And what we are talking about is a community created only by the Holy Spirit who puts the person of Jesus at the center. And this cannot be manufactured by just human desires or an agenda or some wish dream like Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about. And it comes only by way of generosity and it comes only by way of thanksgiving. If we are not thankful for who we have in our lives, we can easily start setting wheels in motion to get what we want, and that agenda can absolutely rob us from real community. And we are called to love each other and to do that more and more and to excel in the goodness of God more and more. And we are called to take this light into the world, right? We're not just gonna, we're not, we're not called to contain it and the little kid's song about hiding it under a bushel, right? We're, we're not called to do that, Okay. We are called to let it shine, and we are called to go into the world and to show people how to love each other and to love God, and we will really begin to see faith um, in Jesus become a reality for people who never thought they would have Jesus in their life. And then we start to show each other what it's really like to, to love each other, and that becomes a reality. And then we start to show people what it's like to really have hope for each other, and that becomes reality. If all we do is stick together and become generous with each other and thankful for each other and show each other the goodness of God like he has shown us and we don't make it about what exactly we want and how we have to have it, that becomes a really, really strong community of godly people that go into the world with no fear and with no agenda other than to see heaven come to earth and God's will be done. And I really believe that as a church, This is who we're called to be. I believe every church is called to do this, by the way. But I believe as a church that this is who we're called to be, to be a community of people that put put Jesus at the center of all of our relationships, and we make that the number one thing. We make that the number one thing, and the Holy Spirit is inside of us, and we become really, really good, and we excel really, really good in the richness of mercy, forgiveness, and good deeds to each other here. And that shows the world And we go into the world, and we go into the world through outreaches and things that we're going to be doing in the spring, and we go into the world in our jobs, and we go into the world on campus, and all of these things, right, where we live, what we do, our neighborhoods, 
and we show people what community is really like. And people can really find faith, hope, and love. Faith in Jesus, love in each other, and hope in the world through how you participate in community. If you want to destroy a community, you can destroy it by simply not participating in it and absolutely not building something that needs to be built. But I believe that God is calling each and every one of us to bring something to the table where we work, where we go to school, all of that stuff, and to build something there.